Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash changelog. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to rollbar.com slash changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they're going to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Oh, yes. The sound of those BMC beats means it's time once again for another js party i am here i'm jared i'm joined by suze suze what's going on what's going on there's a lot going on we have a very special guest <laughs> today very special yeah i'm so excited i'm always excited but I'm, I'm i'm excited as usual i was gonna say if we tell all our guests that we're so excited that there's no there's no hierarchy you have to have a hierarchy <laughs> just kidding we're joined by the one the only chris coyer chris hey thanks so much for coming on js party good yes it's a dang honor thanks so much this is a great show and i'm so happy to be in I was, I was wondering when I should jump in, you know, while you're talking. I felt like, do I, do I say something now? Well, I feel like I could have Kool-Aid manned it and nobody would have liked that. <laughs> just jump in whenever you like. You can't possibly ruin it around here. That's, that's the way it is with a party. You just kind of hop into conversations, you hop out, you say what you it's like. happened now. And we all go home a little bit happier than we were. Well, it's so good. It's, so, it's such a cool network you all have going on here. You should be dang proud well, of you. it. It's really great. <laughs> the website's really sweet. The community aspects are sweet. Uh, I was looking at your, uh, <laughs> this is funny because now it's going to say, ah, 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 in a P tag on your website because your transcriptions are so <laughs> Well, thank you very much. We, uh, we definitely like to, we try to sweat the details as much as we can and put out uh, top-notch stuff if and when possible. So we appreciate that you appreciate it. Well, speaking of appreciating things, we're going to get into the front end divide again. I know listeners, we have ranted and raved about this once already, but it's a big topic. And we now have Chris here with us to have a whole new perspective. Um, but before we get into that, I want to rant and rave a little bit about CSS tricks and just how dang awesome that site is and how it's been uh, really a cornerstone of the web development community for all these years. I can even pause and maybe let Suze gush a little bit before we ask you about it, Chris. Oh, yeah. I still sometimes... Not even, not even sometimes. I still often use code examples from CSS tricks to pull something off because I'm not a full-time front-end developer anymore. And so while I obviously remember most of what I've, I'd been doing for, you know, the 12 years that I was a front-end developer, I've totally forgotten certain things. Like, how do I set up keyframe animations again? And how do I, like, get, it, get the CSS to behave in this way? And I am constantly being thrown into CSS tricks from Google when that happens. And I'm so appreciative of that. I mean, that's me too. Right? I land on my own site all the time to grab stuff because there's, <laughs> there's no reason that you'd have to, that you'd memorize exactly what 
Keyframes is a pretty good example, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah. what is it? Is mm-hmm. it at animation? Or, oh, no, that's the other property that you use to call it once you actually have written the keyframes, which the syntax is at keyframes. <laughs> and then you're like, is it 0%? <laughs> right. And then it has sub brackets. That's weird. Okay. You know, or whatever. You know, like it's easy. It's an easy kind of thing to yeah. forget. And, and why remember it? It doesn't matter. It's more important that your brain remembers that it exists and what it's for than it does what the syntax is. So. I'm more proud of that. I'm proud of going, well, I don't have to use JavaScript to animate this. So like, I know I can do this with keyframes and CSS, which is actually very relevant to this podcast episode, actually, but I digress. Mm. So yeah, I just, I just, I'm so appreciative of CSS tricks. I've been using it for years and years and years, like ever since it's existed. So yeah, it's really, really cool to have um, yourself on the show to to sort of comment on that and also well just... thanks so much that's great it, it's not just me these days we have a whole team of people yeah. that, that work on it you know a lot of mm-hmm. uh, uh, nobody really full time it's mostly my still my full time responsibility but there's an awful lot of guest authors so that's been like a point of pride for us to be able to um, you know because there's advertising on the site like there is on this podcast mm-hmm. you know and I'm I kind of like advertising in a way maybe that's a different show pretend but it's nice to be able to take that money <laughs> and then just turn it around and just give it right back to people who have ideas that want to share them. So I think that's kind of awesome. We have lots of people that are like, I've never written an article before, but I really want to and have this idea and then be able to shepherd that through the process and hopefully make everybody sound and look good along the way and then push those things out is great. You know, if I asked myself, because we celebrated our 10 years last Whoa. year, you know, if I asked me starting that site out, whether I would be happy with where it is today, I couldn't even imagine. Hell yeah, I'm happy. High five old version of myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you about is the impact specifically of that uh, site on your life. Uh, a lot of us take it for granted because yeah, it's been here for so long and it actually reminds me a little bit of yeah. Changelog itself because we're, we're celebrating our 10 years here th- uh, this year hey. of, of the Changelog. So it's, a, again, it feels like it's gone by very fast. Oh, you are so early in podcasting. 10 years ago for <laughs> podcasting is wild. Yeah. Uh, that's great. It wasn't myself. It was Adam and Wynn. So I, right. I, I hopped well, on you know, 2012-ish. But that being said, I was I was listening from day one, a huge, a huge junkie. What I wanted to ask is, now we kind of take it for granted. It's this great place. There's lots of awesome content there. I want to talk about this particular post because man, it's like beautifully art directed even. So I can tell you put a lot of love into this, but curious if you ever along those years ever thought, you know, maybe I should just hang this up. Like, was there a burnout moment throughout the years or has it always the value been obvious? Uh, and, no. And that's kept you working on it. I mean, I, it's not that I'm impervious to like little bouts of burnout, but I'm lucky enough that it doesn't affect me too greatly. I don't know if I just uh, roll of the dice lock there or what, but <laughs> some of it is, is, you know, expectation based mm. and some of it is certainly privilege based and things like that. I, I get less haters maybe than your average person on the internet for whatever reason. But th- there's also one thing that's set up nicely on is that I have made really no promises to anybody. Like the deepest promise I might have on CSS tricks is you wrote an article, so I'm going to pay you for it. Or you've right. bought a uh, sponsored post and it, I've told you that it's going to go out on this date. So it will, you know, but I don't promise to our readers, there's going to be four new articles today. I've never said anything like that ever. So if I was approaching mm-hmm. some kind of like, oh my God, this is just getting too much or the financials are too hard or the buried in technical debt or something that tends to be a trigger for burnout, 
I can just step away for a little bit, you know? And at this point, even mm -hmm. if I did that, there's staff that are kind of taking care of the site anyway, so that makes it even easier to kind of step away once in a while and go on vacation a little more worry-free. And vacations being the really a clutch thing for the, I don't know, I feel like yes. there's, there's kind of two different kinds of burnout. There's like real hardcore, I'm flipping done burnout. And then there's like, I'm a feeling burned out. I need a break. And then I sit on a beach and read a book and I come back feeling a lot better about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't, a beach doesn't help version one. Usually, you know, you might come back even more like done, done. <laughs> it usually works for me. One last question before we move on to the great divide. If you were going to start CSS tricks over today, what would it look like? Would it look like a, as it does right now? Would it be a... Gosh, what a wonderful question. It's hard to think about because I, I feel like we've made some good choices with the, with the kind of the tech and the approach of what we did. It's a WordPress site. So I've kind of long been a defender of WordPress, largely for this reason that I've been so productive with it. And I feel like it's been a good match technologically for what I'm doing as a publication and kind of a CMS around CSS tricks that I don't know that if I could start over today that I would pick something else that I would necessarily like go with a static site generator or, you know, or staff up earlier and harder than I did before or anything. Like I don't, it's not like I did everything perfectly. I'm perfect, Mr. Perfect. But I, I don't, right. I don't have any like <laughs> solid, super gnarly regrets with it necessarily. It was it's okay. Great. This is the dream, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> this is. It's actually very inspiring because while you acknowledge it's not perfect, this is the the sweet spot that a lot of us aspire to. So that's really good to hear that that is something that in some cases can be achievable. That's great. Yeah. You know, this might lead nicely into the divide because I do feel like, like I said, I'm, I absolutely am a WordPress lover, really, and uh, and like that as a technological choice. But CS Strix has underwent a kind of a big facelift recently. I worked with a designer, Kylie Timpani, who's just incredibly designer. And now I'm working with her on new stuff because I just, <laughs> I'll take any amount of time she has to give me because she's so damn good. <laughs> but she pushed me in a lot of ways that, you know, was like, oh, this is going to be a big project. And it was, and now it's out. And now I was reflecting on it. I'm like, oh, my technological choices of this were so boring. You know, I got done the things that she needed me to do, but I didn't, for example, like componentize everything into a perfect little pattern mm -hmm. library like people tend to do these days that I kind of maybe wish that I did and maybe even went harder core into the world of front end like some people do like maybe just maybe if I was really being fancy with this thing I could have set up like a GraphQL endpoint for all of my data in this thing and then built everything into little components including being able to pull the data I wanted that's possible in WordPress through like you know WordPress has a plugin for a GraphQL thing and really just went full SPA with it or at least like a Next.js kind of like server-side rendered but hydrating front-end thing. You know, like I get a kick out of working in that way these days. That would have taken this big job into an even crazier, bigger job. But I feel like if I if I had unlimited time in the world, I probably maybe would consider going that route these days because I find mm. it such an enjoyable way to work. Do you, I keep promising to move on, but then I keep hovering here. Do you feel pressured to lead technologically now? More than you I used don't to. Know. I don't hardly even know it. Not that it's a bad question, but I don't know what it means necessarily. Like, to, do I lead in what way? Like, tell people what technology they should use? Specifically with CSS tricks and the technologies deployed and used there, you said you may have, you know, dove further in and done the GraphQL thing. And, you know, obviously you're toying with these new things, which is similar to what we do around here is we try a lot of new technologies. 
but I'm just curious if you feel the impact of your decisions weighing, you know, on other people's decisions or the, the maybe pressure to do more than when you'd rather just ship what you're currently doing. Yeah. I just think it's, you know, just kind of be, be talky about it is maybe the, the better, you know, version than, yeah. than leading. Just be like, I don't know, we went with this, you know, for us. Sometimes when you talk about technological choices and considering them and all that, always try to provide as much context as you possibly can. You know, like this is what we're choosing for these reasons. Like this is what we talked about. Or like maybe we punted on making a decision at all because we just didn't even have time to, to research it properly. Right. So, you know, we kind of chose what was already there because it just was already there kind of thing. As much context as you can give is nice, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I don't. Susan, I'm curious your thoughts on that on this because in the hardware space, in the streaming space, a lot of people are looking to you for certain, I don't know if leadership is the right uh, term there, inspiration they find. They look for you for more knowledge, more details. Do you feel like now that you have this respect, especially with Twitch streaming, but also with all your hardware hobbies and the stuff that you're doing, and as an advocate for Azure and all these things, do you feel the pressure to perform in a way that you haven't in the past? I absolutely do. Yeah, it's really good that you bring that up. Even when I wrote that article about how I Twitch stream, right? I actually went back and fixed a bunch of things that were totally okay for me, but I felt that people would pick on, you know, if I actually said, oh, this is what I'm doing. And it's like, it's 99% of the where I need it to be. So that's why I haven't really touched it and like made it perfect. Right. And so uh, for me, I definitely feel like I get, I do that sort of defensive polishing if that makes sense, mm. where I feel like I have to just sort of like polish stuff before it goes out. And I think everyone feels like that, even in open source. It's like, I'm just going to like polish up this commit before I push it up and like rebase and things like that. And so I definitely feel that I sort of need to always be putting out my best work now and not just work that I am, that I think is good enough. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's very complicated for sure. Um, but I think that sometimes that pressure is good because it means that, you know, if I'm being lazy about something, then you know, it just sort of gets me over that line. And so to be honest, I think that that article, especially about Twitch, as I mentioned, you know, my streaming setup, it actually kind of forced me to next level my setup so that I was actually recommending something that was good quality for other people. Mm-hmm. I could see that as, you know, like I'm interested in the streaming stuff. I think it's pretty cool, but I don't know anything. So when I hear you pre-call, sorry, I'm going to do a little behind the weeds here stuff, listeners. Before we hit the record button here, we were talking a little bit about cameras, you know, a problem that Suze was having with one of her cameras and she hopped on Amazon and started looking for other cameras. That's influential to me immediately. I'm like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I probably won't buy that one that she said she mentioned because <laughs> it, like, it, it caused problems. I'd rather look for something right. else, you know? So it does have, just even the littlest things can have an influence on what people decide. Yeah, it, you definitely become much more aware of that. Like people will respond to things you didn't even think that they would respond to, right? And that's where you sort of learn to then go back over things that you gloss over a lot. I think that's the mm-hmm. positive that comes out of it. It's always surprising, sometimes delightful uh, when people have takeaways that, like you said, Suze, you wouldn't have expected. Like you were expecting this theme to come out of a, whatever you're doing, whether it's a podcast or a blog article or a stream. People will learn these three things or they'll have this inspiration. And then you hear the feedback and it's like something that was either a throwaway comment or an aside that really impacted them. And so you never know what's going to take root in people's minds and what's not going to. So there's definitely some responsibility or at least consideration there. Yeah. Well, let's turn focus to the great divide. First, I want to talk about the article itself because I guess I just read CSS tricks in my feed reader. I'm just a nerd that way. 
And I didn't realize it till I revisited it today to reread it because it had been a little while that this is like, just to speak on the, I don't know, the content side, you put a lot of work into, it's almost like art directed is the way I would describe it. Beautiful imagery up front. I mean, just a really well. Yeah, that terminology caught on, isn't it? When there's a blog post that isn't the normal template of what the site normally yeah. uses, that the, the, like the term art direction kind of got attached to that. <laughs> I know that Sarah Drasner calls it scrolly telling, which I think is, is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so so a, a beautiful article. Curious if this is uh, you know something you want to do more on. If, is this something that we're... Yeah, I think we have another one in the works. As a content somewhere. creator, I always ask, like, is it worth the effort? You know, because a lot of effort gets put into particular posts and you don't know what's going to be popular. It's certainly cheating. Like, it's absolutely just cheating. People will just talk about it more if you've done this. Like, I don't think it would have yeah. gotten nearly the amount of tension if it didn't. Because it's kind of like, it's like drawing a big, like, star in a highlighter marker on an article before. It's using design to, like, really call attention to something right. in a strong way. I don't know if cheating's the right word, but it's kind of just like, hi, everybody, I want you to pay extra close attention to this, please. <laughs> and it really, I try to do it in a and way. it's also kind of gambling, too, in a certain degree, because... You're putting a lot of effort into something that you that might not hit anyways. Sure. You know, I think of the in the news space, the New York Times put years of journalistic effort into the Trump background on his finances, and there was this bombshell report in the New York Times. And for some reason, and because because our media, you know, our our politic uh, is so crazy, and like the news cycles every half an hour. I mean, they put literally years of effort into that with multiple journalists, and it just kind of flew under the radar. And so they, they, they really? lost a bet in that regard. How'd you yeah. get that inside info? Did you talk to somebody over there that knew? Or was it, <laughs> did the fact that it wasn't news become news? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fact that it was didn't become news was, was somewhat news and commented on. But even that was kind of a... That's fascinating. Yeah, to throw certainly hundreds of thousands. I follow of the media too much. But yeah, so that little bit of inside baseball. But, but you can see how that might happen. I mean, maybe you sink 100 hours into this and it doesn't make the, the impact that you hope. So a little, bit of, a little bit of cheating, but also a little bit of risky in terms of effort. Well, I didn't spend years on this, but I did spend a lot of time, hence the effort on the design part, because the design part was a couple hours. You know, like if you look at this, it's not, I didn't hire an actually good designer to do this or anything. My whole choice was like, let me put a, a super big title with an image behind it, just so it's very different from the rest of the site. And you know, you've landed somewhere kind of special and then kind of remove the sidebar stuff as you're scrolling through it. Not something that we can do on every post just because there's like ad real estate and it's just some... UX things that happen in the sidebar that are important. But for this page, I'm like, let's, you know, make it extra reader focused here and then just slap some centering on it and try to do a clean job of designing it. So it's not, that's not what most of the effort was. Most of the effort was that I really want to hopefully make this clear that this isn't just like Chris Coyer saying some stuff, bleh, here you go. I've made, right. I've made some decisions about what this, ha what's happening <laughs> in this industry. Suck it down. You know, I really wanted right. to avoid that. This is not just me. I interviewed lots of actual people like we're doing right now, and we talked about it, and we got their thoughts, and I read tons of articles, and the idea from the article came from, this is happening anyway. I'm reading lots of things that are all connected, whether they know it or not, kind of thing. And so the article is, quote, 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 you know, right. personal experience. But, there's, you know, there's like 15 people quoted in here or something. So it's there's a lot of that. So I'm hoping that by the end of reading it, that it's like, this is a you know, was an expose of something that's just happening anyway. Uh, and unfortunately, the worst criticism I got for it felt like what I was not hoping for, which is just like, you're just stirring up controversy where there is none kind of thing. I'm like, 
I, what do you even mean? Mm. I don't even feel like this is particularly controversial, really. And it's not just me saying it. Look at all the names in this article. Right. We didn't even say what it was. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI/CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. So we've been discussing this impactful article you put all this effort in called The Great Divide. Link in the show notes, of course. If you haven't gone to the website and read it, maybe you read it in your C- your RSS reader like I did, definitely check it out because uh, it's great looking and, and Chris put a lot of effort into this. We haven't talked about the content very much. Uh, I do want to say that we did an entire show on it a couple of episodes back where you can hear Suze, K-Ball, and Nick's thoughts on this. Darling, while I look it up, episode 61, we'll link that also in the show notes. So we just couldn't wait for Chris. We had to get talking about it, but now we have him here <laughs> and we want to talk about it with you. I love the opener. Two front end developers are sitting at a bar. They have nothing to talk about, which is just an intriguing thought. Yeah. And this definitely resonated with a lot of people. Chris, it's a little clickbaity that I'm afraid because of course is. they do it's have enjoyable, to talk about, you know, right. but there is like a, an otherworldly feeling to the fact that two people can self-identify as a front end developer and have you know, the technologies that they work with, you know, what their computer screen looks like all day being just so incredibly different from one another, particularly like people that have kind of been around a while, you know, people like mockingly and defensively have been using the term old guard, which I think is funny, but you know, Mm. those kind of people. And then somebody who maybe went to code school last year, one of the many, many, many all over the world, just pumping out developers and the curriculum, as far as the research I've done and code schools I've talked to is fairly heavily JavaScript focused. And they're not ashamed of that in any way, because a lot of them quote that the reason that they exist is to fill these labor gaps that they've identified in the market and that when you attempt to research that and see what job postings are like and what roles are trying to be filled, it's true that so many of them are filled with, we need these framework people and we need people that know this and that and this. And it's generally fairly heavily JavaScript focused these days. So they mm-hmm. make the curriculum that way. And then who comes out of those schools is, you know, students who have a high proficiency in those things and and less so other things. And that's just how things have been going lately, you know, for, for better or worse. And so my point isn't to be, I try not to be old guardian away. Like I feel pretty new school with my understanding of <laughs> web browsers and front end development and where that's headed and stuff. I don't want to be too right. protective of the old ways. Like I know this world changes and I get a kick out of working with all kinds of new stuff. So my goal was not to be just like, uh, these new kids, they don't know about you know, border radius and the struggles I had. <laughs> I used to make a table with nine slices to make a 
border thing. I'm like, yeah, that's fun to reminisce about once in a while or whatever, but it's the bad old days. really not important anymore. I, I, I don't care if new people had to struggle with that or not. They get to struggle with all kinds of new stuff. Mm. So one thing I wanted to bring up uh, with regard to divides, it's interesting to me, I guess, from a cultural perspective, or I don't know, looking at us as people, because there's been divides in software development all the way back. And these are prominent divides, even in the idea with front end and back end, the idea of designer and developer, the idea of heck Emacs versus Vim, the idea of functional programmers versus object oriented programs. There's this tribalism. There's a, there's a, a need to identify with a certain group and that's really deep in our culture and something that we do try to bring people across those different silos and cross pollinate ideas. That's kind of some of our goals with what we do here at changelog is to really be polyglot and to break down those barriers. Great. But never before, I think, have we seen it where the people who are dividing have the same title. <laughs> and that's really yes. the thing is, you know, now they're both called front-enders, which that's different. Like there is obviously silos before, but we're, we're seeing kind of a siloization of skill sets under the exact same moniker. And that's really troublesome. Right. And so if there's any point to be made here, some of sometimes there's no point. So, you know, just literally two days ago was at a conference and I've been giving a talk that's related to this. It's not a hundred percent thing, but it's, you know, it's been on my mind and I have stuff to say about it and I have lots of people to quote on it. So I've been using that as a talk. And it's funny, I like I can get done with the talk and be like, oh man, I'm not sure that I, it was fun to go through that. And it was nice to, you know, shed some light on what's happening right now. But I have no point. There's nothing to take away from this, really. You're just observing. Yeah, except for there's a few and they're, they're minor, but they have major life impact, I think. So one of the points is that is the job title thing and that this highly affects hiring, which is a big yeah. deal in people's lives. So I can look around at job boards. You could do this right now in 30 seconds, like go look at the code pen job board, the Stack Overflow job board or Smashing Magazine's job board or anything that is kind of general web technology related jobs. And you'll see the word we're hiring a front end developer all over it. Everybody's hiring front-end developers. And so there's a couple of angles to that. One of them is the reason that's happening is because companies can put them to work so well. There's so much more stuff that front-end developers can do. They've been kind of unhinged or, you know, let free lately. There's front-end developers can right. be super productive. So they are, but the reason they're so productive is because the like swath of things that is falls under the front-end developer bucket is so wide that it just depends, you know. That's what's so tricky about this. And then somebody with a certain front-end developer skill set will be, you know, look at those job boards and be like, you know, yeehaw, look at all these jobs. I'm going to apply to a bunch of yeah. them only to find out that they really don't have what that particular job is asking for. And so there's been people that are like, well, I'll solve this this afternoon. Fire up medium.com. Here's my new take on what job titles should be. If you're this, that means you have this, this, and this skill. If you're a this, you're, you know, if I'm a front-end engineer, I'm a front-end designer, I'm a UX engineer, I'm a UX designer. And they just declare what the new job titles are in the world. And that's that. And that's been tried so many times that it's like, that doesn't seem to be working. And maybe that is the final answer here, but it's going to take more than, I don't know what it's going to take, but it's going to be weird, you know? So the this hiring yeah. thing for now, what you can do if you're a company is be like, okay, maybe I have to put front-end developer in the job title because it's grabbing people. We're getting applicants that way. But you have to be a lot more descriptive than you ever were in the past about what that role is. So if you're saying, I need a front-end developer to work at my agency to design WordPress themes for medium-sized clients, 
you need to be clear about that. We use SaaS generally, and not that these things can't evolve, but usually like when companies are hiring, they're hiring for a pretty specific, like they need somebody right now with some of these skills and that person can come on and evolve those things. But hiring is tricky. You know, you need that skill set right now. Or I'm hiring somebody to, you know, work on my ViewPress site, you know, that uses styled modules or who knows what. That's just kind of like a (laughs) different section of stuff, front-end stuff. So you have to just use your words a heck of a lot better than you have in the past. So that's one of the, I guess, one of the talking points that I have in our notes around, you know, because when you start thinking about solutions, I love the way you say that I don't necessarily have a point. It's just an observation. These are not simple things. It's not like you can go, like you said, I'm going to go take a shower where we all think best, of course, is in the shower. And when I get out, I'm going to have a solution. That's not the way it's going to work. But I was thinking about codifying or formalizing shared terminology, which is a huge effort because you have to share that terminology, which is one of the problems. You know, five people have terms and they mean six different things because one person forgot what theirs meant before and they changed it. You know, that's the way we actually are. But is that effort specifically on the hiring front and around the ability to categorize more effectively for hiring? I think if it's not for hiring, I don't think the categorization really matters all that much myself. I've always been of the idea that we should be, you know, breadth first versus depth first. And I don't really like to put people into boxes, but for hiring, it's kind of a necessary thing. Is that a worthy effort? Is that a lost, I mean, even my, in my notes, I say, is that a lost cause? Because it just seems like, how do you even get that done on a practical sense without some sort of like W3C consortium for developer titles? Yeah, for the terms, it seems to me like it would be cool to see a job board that didn't even allow job titles on it. You got a paragraph instead of a title. I mean, this will never happen. So I hate to throw out solutions that <laughs> don't happen. But you have to then, you just have to take one paragraph to describe what the heck you need. Because what mm-hmm. I find so funny about about this at companies, somebody there knows what you need. It's probably another developer. But yeah. that's depending, for whatever reason, at some size of company, that person isn't involved anymore and it falls to HR or something. That's another thing that you can verify in 30 seconds. Go to some of these sites, click on the front end developer role and look at the describe description. It's probably going to just suck. I hate to say it, but it'll be like, it'll just be full of jargon and weird requirements. And it'll mention Microsoft Word for some reason. And, you know, it's so easy to find <laughs> these like terrible job postings when, you know, it's it's a little, it might be a l- much to ask. You know, maybe there's a bunch of developers that don't want to come in on Monday morning and have a email that says, hey, you know, Suze, can you write up a job description for this role that we need? Like maybe, maybe you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, if you want good coworkers, maybe buck up and do it because your words as a fellow developer to describe somebody else that could be placed on your team probably go a long way Mm. to like making that job description palatable and understandable to a, a fellow developer. Anyway. I couldn't agree more with this. I really couldn't because I think you're correct in that teams are so nuanced and teams have different needs. They obviously are a different combination of skill sets and people and they know better than anyone else like what they need. But I think what also happens is that these job descriptions are written in a way where they don't have to keep asking people for tweaks every time they're hiring for headcount. And I think that's wrong, right? A lot of the time they're like, I'm going to write it in a way where we can put like five of these up and we just have to be, whether it's senior or mid-level or something like that, we just change that and then it's fine. But I think there's a lot of people who are even applying for these jobs, they're landing in the company on their first day and then they're also being told, oh, no, 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 we actually just need this. We need you to be really, really good at Vue.js, for example. And that wasn't in the job description. Wow. And then nobody actually gets what they want either, Mm, right? That's such a, that is straight up a problem. It's funny that it's a problem. I hadn't even considered that, that it's a problem 
after you even get the job. Usually the problem you think yeah. about the problem be as I didn't get the job because of some weird mismatch of skills and what they were asking for and how badly it was written and stuff. But even if you do get the job, it can still be a problem. Mm. Yeah, there's been, I've, I mean, I've worked on teams where someone has been told that they're working on X and then things change between when they're hired and when they actually start. And that's either not communicated to them or the job description was so generic that when people interviewed them, the developers technically interviewing them weren't briefed correctly on, you know, exactly what they're going to be doing, whether they're going to be working on the platform team or or something like that. And it seems like unbelievable, but I have actually been, you know, working at companies and seen that happen. And then everyone is disappointed, right? You know, that person is stressed out because all of a sudden, yeah. Right, because you can't just peace out, too. Look at all that work you just did. It's not like you're going to get some great severance package if you peace out in week one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a problem. I really do love your idea of just sit down and write something such as, you know, we need somebody who's really, really good at accessibility, but can also have enough chops on, you know, this other technology in order to just like kind of get us over the line and really like innovate in this area. Those kind of job descriptions are amazing. And, you know, maybe HR is afraid that if you write something really specific like that, you just won't, you'll have a much smaller candidate pool. I'm not really sure what that is, but I think a lot of it just comes down to efficiency of systems, either laziness, um, you know, from people who don't want to write the specific ones or just not even having an awareness of what a bad experience that is for everyone all around. I feel like some of the successful hires then end up being like, well, the job post sucked, but I saw my friend on Twitter tweet it. And so I followed up on it anyway because I like them and I like the company or whatever. So they end up being hired despite Mm -hmm. the, which, but that's a smaller, you know, you're casting a smaller net that way. You know, I I think not to hijack this, but there's this other problem that's related in a way, like if you're going to try to focus on a point for this thing, hiring is a problem. And then code quality is the second kind of major problem that has to do with this divide. And there's one, there's one way that I think is generally more agreed upon. And one way that one that isn't, or is a little more thorny for people. The one that's agreed upon is like, let's say you're hired like as a junior developer or like you're just like kind of a front end person and all of a sudden something lands on your desk like the database needs to be changed in some way and you feel way uh, scared and out of your depth to deal with that. Maybe you struggle your way through it and get it done. Maybe you don't, but it was a weird mismatch for your skill set. And so you were aware and maybe even everybody around you was aware that that wasn't like perfect for you. So like, oh crap, that was kind of a, a mismatch. But then if you do it the other way around, for some reason this is thornier, which is you're some full stack developer and you're a, you know hardcore into JavaScript and you're this site architect and you have computer science background and you're so great in that way. And then what fell on you was to create the like the layout template for the homepage or an important page of the site. So what really became your responsibility was good markup and styling for that page that maybe like that's not your strength. You didn't do a very good job with that because you've, you've been spent your whole career doing other things that that wasn't a part of it. But for some reason, there's this like attitude that one of those things is like climbing up the ladder to do something more complicated. And one of those things is climbing down a ladder to do something simpler mm-hmm. that should be included. So it's like they're not they're not treated as just outside of skill set. One of them is just like, well, that was easy. So we threw it at this person to do it. And then later people looking at that be like, they actually kind of did do a bad job on that. So why is this so looked down upon? <laughs> I agree with that. I think people are much more forgiving on that side that you just talked about, for sure. They're like, oh, well, 
they're so brilliant. They're just like not good at this one thing. And it's, it's a complete fallacy as far as judging what is some challenging skill set. It's very frustrating to come in from that angle. It's like, and also just judging what is easy and then basically insinuating that just because it's easy, that it doesn't have as much value as the other thing, which is a super big travesty. Because when you think about it, it's work that's going out to the user. And if you're deploying something that is quality to the user, then that's incredibly valuable. It has absolutely nothing to do with the journey that you took to get there as far as whether you should value it or not. Mm -hmm. I love that. What a great way to put it. I want to quote that in my follow-up of that because that's incredible. (laughs) Of course, it has a tremendous value because as a front-end developer, that's your core thing. You're dealing with working with the browsers, which is the thing that the users interact with. It's so incredibly important to get right. I have an old friend who comes from the programmer backend side of that of that particular divide, and he he would used to refer to kind of the what you would call the UI or the the job of the the front end slash designer slash that whole side of the stack as arts and crafts, and he didn't <laughs> you know which is incredibly that is ludicrous co- condescending right and just uh, he was mm-hmm. not it wasn't there was no animus in the way he did it he was just naive or ignorant of the fact that it was offensive. And so, you know, I, I told him like, and I'm, it didn't offend me because I wasn't necessarily doing that work, but I always saw it differently uh, because where I do come up against my strengths are on development and I, I find the design and I can, you know, I've learned HTML and the layouts and stuff. I can do all of that stuff, but I struggle to, and I see where my skills lack there. And so I always had the exact opposite impression. It wasn't that it was a step down or like a simpler thing to do that part of the, of the work because that's the part of the work that I can't do as well. So I always saw it as the harder side. And the, the stuff that I'm more naturally inclined to do well, I saw as kind of the easier side because I could do it more easily. And so it's just interesting that multiple people coming to the exact same place, whether you're coming from the front towards the back, or you're coming from the back towards the front, when you get to that spot where we all kind of stop and I realize it's a sliding scale. Yeah, You yeah. see that as simpler or... Right. And, you know, it's complicated by the fact that if you really were to, like, throw down in the, the court of the world, like, is hardcore computer science stuff straight up, like, more complicated than HTML? Okay, you're going to win. It is more complicated in some way. But it doesn't make it, l- like, the value scale or, like... Exactly. I don't know. It's, it's just tricky to talk about, especially at a role, you know, especially when that person who's good at HTML and doing that work, it's probably not all they're doing. Right. It's not like their job is just to sit there and make H1 and article tags all day in a thing, you know, like that's, <laughs> they're doing other stuff too. They just, part of their skill set is to be good at that document algorithm stuff and the thinking of yeah. style. And then when you factor in CSS on top of it too, and a whole design system around it and having oh, to think about difficult. and talking about cross-browser stuff, it really compounds in complexity to the point where it's starting to compete with, you know, the, the computer science stuff. Well, the computer scientists... That's a great way to break it down. ...types have been, have felt this as well uh, over the ages because um, from, from other areas of organizations. And so we have this term code monkey and this idea, which we try to break down these barriers as well, coming from kind of the product or the project manager side that like the coding is like, okay, now go do the coding and we'll be done with it, right? Like it's just a thing that needs to be done, like a rote task. And so then there's, I think it's just this, this sense of othering, this way that we just, we create tribes and it's just damaging to the overall culture and damaging to our shared goals is to come out with something that, like Sue says, the value for the user is what it's all about. The tribalism stuff is... So- when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, the biggest sobering and humbling thing that I always take to heart 
every time is the user does not give a crap about any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. they, they just don't care. This is all for us. This is all us just having our own little posturing, you know, and, and self-satisfaction and, and things like that. They don't care. And if we are allowing these kinds of silly cultural issues and, and sort of like dissing on different roles and difficulties and hierarchies, that doesn't actually help the user at all. And if anything, it does actually encroach on things like code quality and, and things like that, because we can't just get our act together and just actually unify for the whole reason why a lot of us are working in these jobs. And most of it is an end user, but there are also people who, that work on a platform team that are trying to make things better for engineers as well. And I think that stuff is looked down on too because, oh, it's not going out to the user. So all of these silly value fights are really just distracting from creating quality tools, in my opinion. Oh, that's great. Yeah, if anybody gets to win this little battle, like let's say we, we there's these this divide and we're fighting each other, I feel like a, a really good UX person could come in and they just get the crown. Because that you're right, that is yes. so much more important. You know, I was just at the conference. I was just at the the final speaker, and he's often the final speaker at this conference. Is a guy named Jerry McGovern, and I think he just has a great way of talking about how important that stuff is. And he never talks about code. I don't think he's much of a coder at all. But he's just this kind of user champion, and not just a user champion, but like he'll look at your business and just. I feel like he just sees a bunch of ants running around, worried about these tiny little coding problems. And just throws up his arms and is like, what are you all doing? You know, <laughs> like, you know, but as a nobody's, <laughs> nobody's thinking about the user. Nobody's talking to the user. Nobody's observing the user. What is happening here? And I think about it all the time because I feel like that's what I do at work so much. time. It's because I'm kind of a nerd and I just kind of like that part. And I've managed to do okay mm. in my life so far. Just <laughs> focusing on how to make rounded corners on things that maybe I'll just stay here and it's kind of fun. <laughs> But uh, I, I look at him, he's like, I mean, you're so right, you know? Not that we never yeah. talk to users, but definitely not with the kind of frequency and velocity we should. Well, let's end this portion of the conversation on this idea that you actually end your article with, Chris, when you say that JavaScript's heating up, CSS workshops are easier to fill than they used to be. So it's not like any of our skills are becoming out of demand. That being said, demand changes, right? And so you said the one constant is change. In light of that, you know, speak to the individuals and Susan and Chris, I want you both to, to do this. In order to not be divided technologically, right, individually, like if you do, not to be pigeonholed, what are some ways, what are some practical advice to keep up, to advance with technologies and not become quote unquote old guard or uh, have skills that are no longer demanded and not have any of the skills that are currently demanded? What are some advice for folks? <laughs> it's such a big question. I think what you can do is is respect that you won't be able to know everything. I mean, this is part of the fear behind this whole divide, right? Is that do I have to know everything? And if I don't have to know everything, then I will defensively look down on all the skills I don't have to make myself feel better, right? I think that you need to respect that you need several people all working together who are good at different things in order to produce the best quality output, right? Yay. Knowing that, it's really good to have just at least some kind of breadth, which you were mentioning, Jared. Like, mm -hmm. at least if you hear a word that's said in a meeting, go and Google it. And then, you know, in five minutes, you'll have at least like some kind of bird's eye view of exactly what that's about, right? And so my best advice is to keep up with everything, is to try to play with things as quickly as possible. If you're at a point in your career where you can actually just follow documentation or, or whatever and have a quick play around, like ask yourself two questions. Is this going to result in 
a better outcome for me to use this tool and a better outcome for my team to use this tool? And is this then going to either directly or indirectly, and be careful about the indirectness because people can invent indirect benefits, but think about is this then going to directly be passed on to the user as a benefit as well? And that just helps you keep a healthy sense of what you need to actually know and learn, but also you can just sort of not get so distracted by all of the buzzwords and shiny new things coming out that you're reading about on Hacker News and Twitter and things like that. It it helps you to not feel overwhelmed, um, but also feel like you're actually doing your best to stay on top of things in a way that is sustainable for you. Great answer. Chris, anything to add? That was awesome. That needs to, you, that should be a little clip, you know, for the show, by the way. I know you do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just have so many feelings about this topic. You know, I'm so happy to be back for the second Great Divide discussion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a little more coherent this time. Last time I was like, I was like so worked up that I was like sputtering my words out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was trying to think of a little way you should think about what you should learn. Do you want to frame it again to help me and to help people understand what we're talking about? Well, yeah, sure. So the general idea is that things are changing. And that's the only thing that we know is that the industry is going to change. What is valuable today in terms of specific technologies, not necessarily broad skill sets, but what is valued today may not be valued to tomorrow. Hey, it could be more valuable. Who knows? Right. I don't think JavaScript itself is trending down. We could all say it's going to be continue, but we don't know what's going to be obsoleted by what new technology. So in an effort not to become quote unquote obsolete, right, to become less demanded, what are some ways that people can look to themselves, find out where they're lacking and help themselves to kind of float above those risks? I love that. What an awesome thing to talk about. Woo! Because uh, you're so right about all that. <laughs> so, you know, I liked how we were sort of ended last kind of round of stuff that we were talking about, talking about how important users are. And there's actually, I wish I could mm. quote it exactly, but there's even a thing in the spec for, uh, you know, the web platform specs. I think it's in the HTML spec somewhere that has this kind of golden rule in it. And it's like, it has this, like what you should consider most important overall. And the way bottom of it is theoretical purity of a solution. And the way top of it is, does it work? You know, like, is it, does it consider right. users? Like consider the users at the very top of this thing, which is great. So I think that's important. If you're in this industry and working or really in any industry, heck, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, you know, I hate to only mention cliche job titles like that, you know, <laughs> cobbler or whatever. But of course you're considering your users above all else. Always, always, always be thinking about that. Who cares about the technology? Are you serving them in the way that you possibly should? Technology be damned. Second, are you an awesome coworker? That's pretty huge. Like be good yeah. to the people that you're working with because you're going to get a lot more done. You're going to be a better company. You're going to be a better team. You're going to build more successful products if you are working together well. And you, the responsibility for that is on you. Be a better coworker. On Shop Talk Show, we have a, our little saying is just build websites, which is like we kind of got in a way it was defensive because we were sick of answering the question, <laughs> what should I learn next? Because people are obsessed right. with that question. They're absolutely obsessed with it. I get it every day in some way. And they just want an answer. And I get it. That's fine. But I, I want to, you know, maybe I can try to give you an answer, but I can also try to give you this a more generic and more truthful answer, which is you know, learn the stuff that you need to do to build the thing that you need to build with your great coworkers for the user that you're you have put on top of your caring pyramid. So like you're building something for them, pick the technology you need to get there. Now that might leave you high and dry because you're like, well, what technology then? And that's a, it's a little bit of a harder question. I'd say if we're, if I have to throw technologies at you, I'd say there's a lot of 
good stuff happening around the idea of a progressive web app, which is a pretty wide swath of technologies that can involve anything from the oldest school of technologies to the newest, fanciest stuff that's going on. It's more of a theoretical grouping of what the output is expected to be. So if you have never heard of that, definitely look that up. It seems like a big kind of important thing happening on the web, but in its early days. So if you were like a PWA master, that's probably not a bad place to be headed with your career. And JavaScript is a part of that world as well. And you teed this up pretty well. Like JavaScript is just absolutely blown up. So like, I would never discourage somebody from going that route with their career these days. That's a smart move. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks. The goal of the tool is to take the pain out of test automation and to help with this Gage supports specifications of Markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write, reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining code. And finally, integrations. Use Gage with your favorite tools and your IDEs and the ecosystem of your choice. Selenium, Saihi Pro, CIC and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Again, gage.org slash jsparty. Let's turn our attention now to another one of Chris's babies, CodePen, which hosts <laughs> just thousands and thousands. I don't know. Maybe you can give us a, a round number on how many amazing little programs and you know, web thingies that are hosted on the site. We're going to actually go roundtable style and talk about a few of our favorites or things that we love on code, CodePen.io. Chris, off the top of your head, do you know how many pens are out there these days? Oh my gosh. Let me let me look for a minute because I think it's just a query away, you know. <laughs> okay, you you look that up and in the meantime, Suze, let's turn to you. Hey, this was your idea. Great idea. You must have had some pens on your mind that you wanted to share with folks. Why yeah. don't you tell us about it? Yeah, I love CoPen so much. And I've actually used it in things like presentations and things like that, just for somewhere quick to host something that I'm using for a second. I think my two favorite CodePen authors are both Sarah Drasner and Anna Tudor. They both do amazing demos um, that are super accessible and they always blow my mind because they're way better at this stuff than I am. So I'm always very inspired by those two. Um, Anna Tudor is the baby dino on CodePen and Sarah Drasner, I think is, is it S. Draz? I think her CodePen username is. We can we can put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I always forget it because she's different on every platform. It's Sarah Edo. Yeah, on it's confusing. Shoot, I'm sorry. That's sad that I don't know her because obviously she's one of my favorites too. We work together on CSS Tricks as well. And yes, mm-hmm. she is Estraz. I got it right. Yes, nice. <laughs> That's great. Do I go next or are you going to go, Jared? Go right ahead. Or did you not want to go next? It's just too hard for me. <laughs> like these are everybody's my favorite. You know, it's my thing okay. that I made. But that's too. That's too hard. But sometimes I like I, when it, CodePen is so often used for like the homepage of it is often like very artistic expressions of things because you know we fill the homepage with things that are usually pretty visually stunning. You know, like if you just used some, you know, you're like demonstrating uh, how a class component works in JavaScript or something that has no visual output at all. It still can be an interesting, useful 
Apple Pen that I hope people find, but it's mm-hmm. probably not going to hit the homepage just because it'll be a white block and it won't be very interesting. Right. But uh, sometimes I love that kind of thing. Or if it's like a somewhat boring front end exercise that was like, look at this, look at this interesting situation I came across and solved. You know, I, I kind of like it when there's a, a code pen of an interesting new thing. You know, Hayden Pickering uh, blogged recently this interesting idea that he had of having kind of three Flexbox containers in a row and that at a certain breakpoint he could get them to all flop down on to vertically, but he, you could do it based on the size of the parent container, not a media query for the whole page. And in, in front-end development, that's been highly desired for a long time. Is like, oh my God, could I please make decisions on the width of the parent container? Please, 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 please. That's what matters, <laughs> not the width of the stupid page, because inside the page, who knows what's going on? Maybe I'm breaking things into columns or not columns. Or It's easy for a component to be in a smaller place on a big screen, in a bigger place on a small screen, just because of how columns break down sometimes. So to have this be this little thing that, that is a little bit close to what they call a container query uh, is great. And then he, you know, he wrote it up and explained it all. But of course, there's a pen that goes with it. And it's so great to have that as a quick reference place to like for a front end technique like that. It may not make the most beautiful homepage kind of thing, but uh, it demonstrates the concept really well. And for some reason, when you asked me this just earlier today, I thought of this, just one popped into my mind. So I thought I'd just roll with it. But it was this demonstration of front-end technique like this, that where the demo isn't particularly beautiful, but the functionality is so cool. Are you all familiar with the accessibility problems with a modal? You know, like if you open up yes, a modal. Yes, oh my God, yes. One of the expectations of a perfect accessible modal is that it traps the focus inside of it. And so that if you're, mm-hmm. you know, tabbing through focusable elements that you don't then leave the modal and, and go out, out of the modal because the point of the modal was to be like, fo- deal with this first <laughs> and then it can go mm-hmm. away somehow and then you can go back to the page. But focus trapping is pretty hard thing to do on the web. And, it, you know, you might be like, oh, I'll take a crack at this. And then, you know, 700 lines of JavaScript later, you have a kind of crappy working version of it kind of thing. There was this pen that did this in a, in a really interesting way with mostly just CSS, which I found fascinating. There's this selector in CSS called focus within now, and it's not widely supported. So it makes this not perfect cross-browser yet, but you know how fast browsers move these days, it probably won't be too long. And focus within is like, you know, a focus selector on an input is like when the cursor's in there, then it's focused. Well, what if you wanted to select the div parent of that thing? Well, you can do that now, which is really crazy in CSS. You can select up the DOM tree and select an element when it has any element inside of it that happens to be in focus. So imagine you have this whole wrapper around a form and you've selected an input. You can select that form element that wraps them all, change their background color, do something, which is fascinating. That's awesome. Now there's this yeah. also thing is uh, you have animations. You know, we all know what those are. We Suze mentioned keyframes just earlier in the show, I think. There's JavaScript APIs that are tied to CSS animations. So you can be watching the DOM for an event that's like animation end, and that'll trigger when any CSS animation or one on a particular DOM element that you're watching for is ended. So if you are a transition end, so let's say you, you know, you click on something and the focus selector in CSS changes the color from white to light gray or something to indicate that it's in focus. And then you click away from it, there'll be a JavaScript event that's fired that you can watch for called transition end. 
which is fascinating. So let's say you have a parent element that has is a modal and it has a transition on it that like has a applies a box shadow or something. And then you tab, 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 tab. You finally, you have applied no focus management at all. And you hit tab again, and now you've tabbed outside of the modal. Well, that box shadow is going to go away with its little transition. And then that event is going to fire that says, oh, that, that transition end happened. Well, you can write a little JavaScript that says, oh, I know why that transition happened. It's because they left the modal. So you could say, okay, well, that happened. So I know that the user has now left the modal. I'm going to force focus back to the first element in that modal. So now you've designed a focus trapping mechanism in like, you know, six lines of code, which is crazy. Wow. So I liked that that demo was on CodePendent. That's such a cool demo. And also I, I know that for um, SPAs, that makes it a lot more, I guess, uh, idiomatic to deal with as well. Right. It's not perfect. So, you know, there's an article on CSS tricks about it. Well, the, the, the reason it's not perfect is mostly the browser support issue. If you're in a browser that doesn't yeah. support focus within, the whole thing's junk, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, it's the web. We're, we're used to not perfect, right? We've been there, done that, and continue to do that uh, as we build new things. That's pretty cool, Chris. Give us the, the link to that pen. All these credit there goes to Kushugra Gower, and the article is a CSS okay. approach to trap focus inside of an element very cool nice very cool well i will finish up swiftly here i will just say a little background on me i grew up alongside the nintendo entertainment system born in 82 grew up playing the original nes specifically legend of zelda was my jam i was obsessed with it as a young boy in fact i even had zelda dreams uh, leading my parents to take it away from me for a while so i mean i was into zelda back in the day uh, I've just recently, now that my kids are getting to the age where they like video games, I've just like gotten back into my love of all things Nintendo. And uh, the Switch has brought me back. And so I started thinking, the cool thing about CodePendant, there's so much stuff on there that you can just go searching for stuff and you will find something amazing. Now, I just type the word Nintendo into the search box to see what's out there. What I'm really impressed with, I love on CodePendant, is all the pure CSS uh, mm -hmm. things. So this amazing thing made with nothing but CSS. It just continually blows my mind how skilled and knowledgeable these people are and creative in order to, you know, bend and twist the sometimes obscure CSS rules in order to create things that are amazing. So I, I grabbed a few. I will put them in the show notes. The first one, all right, I'll, I'll just highlight one since we're getting short on time. There's a 8-bit gaming room with a Nintendo and GTA, right? Grand Theft Auto. I'm pasting this into the chat so y'all can look at it. It's downright awe-inspiring. I mean, it, I'm not even going to describe it because we're on an audio podcast. Click through, check it out. The stuff that people do, playable games in CSS only, very cool, very cool. So that's what I want to highlight. I'll put another, a couple more Nintendo-related pens in the show notes. Just won't mention them here for time, but definitely check those out. Amazing stuff. Chris, let's close here. Well, first of all, did you get that number? Could you get the SQL query typed out as, I, as we were talking? Or you forgot about it? Well, I was, I was a little scared to run that one. No, but we, I was like, God, what is it? It's millions and millions, right? I'm, a, I'm embarrassed that I don't know. Because in, in some sense, right. it's, it's like a glamour stat, but it doesn't kind of matter. We, we passed yeah. 7 million in April 2016, and growth has been a lot crazy since then. I bet it's over 50. 50 million some pens, I bet. Wow. And they're not spam either because we are really aggressive with our 
our spam slaughtering across our, our database. So these are all, you know, it's not like they're all right. 8-bit gaming rig kind of pens. A lot of times they're just tiny little demos that people make. In fact, that's, I'm sure, the vast bulk of it. But <laughs> it's a lot of pens out there. And we index all of them. And they're at a public URL. They are MIT licensed as well. So there's, you know, 50 million easily searchable, quickly searchable MIT licensed things out there for you to Go grab and use if you want. Very cool. Very cool. Chris, you've been an amazing guest. Hey, while I have listeners here, if this is your first time listening to JS Party, let me recommend a couple other episodes. We've had amazing guests recently. I just want to point out Paige Bailey was on the show talking TensorFlow.js with Susan Nick a couple weeks back. That's episode 64. Go listen to that. Paige has so much knowledge. Susan, that was a great show, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. We were just so vibrating with excitement, I think. <laughs> yeah, she has that effect on people. Uh, a couple of shows back, episode 65, we had Adam Wathen on the show talking about Tailwind CSS and how to build rapid UIs with utility-first CSS, all he's up to. You may know him from Full Stack Radio. Go listen to that episode. Of course, Ashi Krishnan was on last week, and we have uh, lots of other interesting things in the pipeline as well so definitely subscribe but hey chris we really appreciate you joining us this has been a spectacular conversation that's our show this week we will see you next time all right thank you for tuning in to js party this week tuning live on thursdays at 1 p.m u.s eastern at changelaw.com live join the community and slack with us in real time during the shows head to changelaw.com community and do us a favor, share this show with a friend, read us an Apple podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, head to fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers at the leno.com slash changelog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Practical AI is a show hosted by Daniel Whitenack and Chris Benson about making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. You'll hear from AI influencers and practitioners, and they'll keep you up to date with the latest news and resources so you can cut through all the hype. As you were at the uh, Thanksgiving table with your, your friends and family, were you talking about the fear of AI? Well, I, I wasn't at the Thanksgiving table because my wife has forbidden me from doing so. Um, <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's off limits for, for me, lest I drive her insane because I never stop. New episodes premiere every Monday. Find this show at changelaw.com slash practically I or wherever you listen to podcasts.